I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue to read the Gospels chronologically, today we'll be looking at passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Today's about prophecy. We'll be reading Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 31, paralleled by Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 27, and also Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 28. So here's where we are with regard to Jesus' ministry. Jesus, at this point in time, in this session, is on Mount Olivet overlooking Jerusalem, and these events take place during the week preceding the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what you need to know about these passages. All three of these are records of Jesus' final teaching overlooking the temple prior to his crucifixion. Because Jesus gives these comments while upon the Mount of Olives, this teaching session is commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse. In this session, Jesus answers questions posed to him by his disciples on issues of prophecy. The prophetic events outlined by Jesus in these chapters are given in chronological order. This fact is very important in order to recognize the proper context for the events that are listed in these passages. Since, in my mind, a pre-tribulation rapture of the church is the most defensible prophetic view of the rapture and the second coming, these comments will explain these passages in that context. Now, I will say that good people disagree on the timing of the rapture of the church with respect to when exactly believers will disappear from this earth in relation to this seven-year tribulation period. Every serious student of prophecy is typically able to make a strong case, at least in his own mind, as to why he holds his particular view. Volumes have been written in defense of each of these positions. Having studied those positions over the years, I remain convinced that the position espousing that Jesus will receive believers into heaven at the beginning of the seven-year period, known as the tribulation, which is seen in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18 and 1 Corinthians 15, 51-53. Uh, those passages describe the rapture. And finally, that Jesus will return to earth to stay at the end of that period. I find that to be the most explicable view. Now, if you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org, I've provided a visual timeline of what takes place in the pre-tribulation rapture position with regard to the events during that seven-year period and leading up to it. So, we begin with Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 3, Mark 13, 1 through 4, and Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 7, where the disciples ask this big question of Jesus. First, Matthew 24, 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
Now over to Mark's account, Mark chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone should be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Now Luke's account is found in Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 5. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone should be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be, and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Now let's talk about these verses. When one of his disciples comments on the magnificent structure of Herod's temple, Jesus comments that these massive stones will be completely raised to the ground at some future date. Now, how can one let a comment like that go by without further explanation? Peter, James, John, and Andrew then ask Jesus about the time frame for such an event. They expand the question to include all the prophetic milestones about which Jesus had spoken during his ministry, and they ask him this question. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? While overlooking the temple, Jesus prophesies concerning those events. Matthew's record is the most comprehensive account of the discourse, extending his comments to include some details that Mark and Luke simply summarize. Now here's an important key to keep in mind regarding this discourse. John later gives exhaustive prophetic detail regarding these very same events in chapters 6 through 20 of Revelation. Historical facts give us a little more context than the disciples had when Jesus spoke these words. In fact, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans as prophesied by Jesus in these very verses. It's for that reason that the world realities explained in this passage down to Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Mark 13, 14, and Luke 21, 20 may characterize activities at any time between the time Jesus issued these comments until the beginning of the second half of the tribulation. Now, that being said, it is certain that these world realities will exist during the first half of the tribulation period. Then Jesus gives an overview of the first three and a half years of tribulation in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 14, Mark chapter 13, verses 5 through 13, and Luke chapter 21, verses 8 through 19. Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. 
and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Now over to Mark's account in Mark chapter 13, beginning with verse 5. And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit." Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now over to Luke's account in Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 8. And he said, Take heed that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines, and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist." You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. Well, as stated earlier, some of these indicators may precede the actual seven-year tribulation, but certainly they do characterize those first three and a half years. So to be clear... Jesus' characterization of this period is sequential. That makes Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 14, Mark 13, 5 through 13, and Luke 21, 8 through 19. That makes those passages a picture of life during the tribulation leading up to the midpoint of the seven-year period. The exact middle of the tribulation appears in Matthew 24, 15, Mark 13, 14, and Luke 21, 20. Thus, the seven-year tribulation is divided up into two distinct periods in prophetic scripture, the first three and a half years and the last three and a half years. The events prophesied by Jesus to take place in the first half are tumultuous, but are mild by comparison to those which are prophesied for the second half of the tribulation. 
The beginning of the second half is marked by the man students of prophecy generally referred to as the Antichrist. He moves into a rebuilt temple and demands that he be worshipped as God. Since that event is not marked in these passages until Matthew 24:15, Mark 13:14 and Luke 21:20, it's logical to assume that all the events prior to these milestone verses take place either in the first half of the tribulation or perhaps some of them even before the rapture of the church. All this passage tells us is that they take place prior to the second half of the tribulation. Now, here's what Jesus says will characterize this period, the first half of the seven-year tribulation. There will be false Christ. Now, Christ is the English transliteration of the Greek word Christos, which literally means Messiah. Then there will be an unusually excessive number of wars, unusual occurrences of natural phenomena like famine, pestilence, and earthquakes. Jesus says there will be increased persecution of the righteous and also an increase in the number of false prophets. And then he says the preaching of the kingdom message in the world, meaning the rule of the Messiah over the earth from the millennium forward, that will be preached during this period of tribulation. As I said, some of these events may take place prior to the rapture of the church, but not necessarily. What these passages tell us for certain is that these will be the conditions that exist during the first half of the tribulation. Matthew 24:13 has been frequently misused by those looking for ammunition in their attempt to prove that one may lose one's salvation. One's salvation may not be lost. Once you're saved, you can't be unsaved. The notion that it can be lost flies in the face of the whole unconditional covenant theology clearly outlined in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Salvation is an unconditional covenant that God makes with each believer. And he does that at the time when that person trusts Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. That covenant just can't be broken. From that time forward, God deals with believers as his children. Now, if you're not clear about that, then I would encourage you to go read my article under the topic section of BibleTrack.org entitled Trial Versus Chastisement, and there you will see what God does with his children when they disobey. Now, let's explain Matthew 24, 13. It says, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. First of all, understand that this is a tribulation period verse spoken immediately before Jesus explains the abomination of desolation, which we know takes place at the halfway point of the tribulation. That's seen in Matthew 24, 15, Mark 13, 14. That in itself removes it from applicability to spiritual salvation prior to the rapture of believers. But wait, there's more. In Mark's parallel of this passage, he leads into it with chapter 13, verse 10, when he says, And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Matthew makes that statement in chapter 24, verse 14. This is a direct reference to the 144,000 Jewish witnesses who are sealed by God during the tribulation period. They're seen in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, and Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. These are for the purpose of evangelizing the entire world. In Luke's parallel to this passage, in chapter 21, verse 18, we see that Jesus makes it clear that he's talking about physical salvation. In other words, the deliverance from physical death, and that applies to these 144,000 Jewish witnesses when here's what he says. 
but not a hair of your head shall be lost. So you see, this verse has nothing whatsoever to do with spiritual salvation during this present period of grace or dispensation of grace. To misuse it as such is to do a disservice, a great disservice to scriptural context. Now let's talk about that man that everybody calls the Antichrist. We're reading Matthew 24, verses 15 to 31, Mark 13, verses 14 to 27, and Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 28. First, Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now let's read Mark's account, a little shorter than Matthew's, on this particular issue, beginning in Mark chapter 13, verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. For in those days there shall be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand." But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. 
And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now Luke's account begins in Luke chapter 21, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts filling them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen... Look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Perhaps the clearest milestone in these passages is the appearance of the abomination of desolation. Matthew and Mark are even careful to specify that this event equates to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. That's a prophetic passage of Scripture that positively identifies the individual that we commonly refer to as the Antichrist. Really, he's the beast of Revelation chapter 13, to be technical about the whole thing. It's in Daniel's prophecy, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, where we learn that this event marks the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. This Antichrist, so-called, will inhabit the most holy place of the temple. That's the abomination of desolation. And he'll pronounce himself to be God. Paul gives a detailed explanation of that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, notice these verses, Matthew 24, verses 16 to 20, Mark 14, 13 through 18, and Luke 21, verses 21 through 24. Those are the verses where immediately following the tribulation midpoint of the abomination of desolation described in the preceding paragraph, the remnant of the righteous in Jerusalem are told to flee into the wilderness. Many prophecy teachers feel strongly that the place to which they will flee is a place called Basra. That's found in Micah chapter 2, verse 12. Now, that's located in ancient Edom, which is modern-day Jordan. That's east of the Dead Sea in the mountainous region there. That position has great scriptural merit, by the way, and should be considered by serious students of prophecy as a likely scenario. Matthew twenty-four twenty-one declares this, for then there will be great tribulation. Now, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14 also makes reference to this period, the last three and a half years of the tribulation, and calls those years, those three and a half years, great tribulation. Those last three and a half years of great tribulation, those represent a period of intense, catastrophic, worldwide happenings. Notice what Luke tells us about this period in Luke 21, 24. He says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now that, of course, is Luke quoting Jesus on the Mount of Olives on this occasion. 
He points out that Jerusalem during this second half of the tribulation will be overcome with Gentile enemies. More is written by Paul concerning this in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, where here's what Paul says. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Paul undoubtedly is making reference to Jesus' comments here. Based upon the chronology of Matthew, Mark, and Luke compared to John's Revelation, I'm confident with the position that the events of Revelation chapter 6 coincide with the first half events outlined here by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm convinced that the second half of the tribulation, which begins with the abomination of desolation, that that's consistent with the events in Revelation that begin with chapter 8. Revelation 7 serves as a non-chronological overview summary. If you'd like to know more about the chronology of Revelation, look at my notes on Revelation chapters 9 through 12. Revelation chapters 8 through 19 give exhaustive details regarding these second-half cataclysmic events. Jesus just briefly summarizes them here. Now, if you'd like greater detail regarding the events of the second half of the tribulation, then if you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today, then you'll see links to three passages of Scripture. Revelation 9 through 12 is one. Revelation 13 through 16 is a second. And Revelation 17 through 19 is a third. And those links will take you right to the notes on those particular passages of Scripture. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker. 